All right. This is Polo. This is Beckett. We here. We coming. The battle continues. This is Born to Battle. Chris, you want to get us started? Always, man. We got a good show today. We have Mike from the ALS Association in the Minnesota and the Dakota chapters. I believe so. Over with having excited that he's joining us today. And like always, are you ready to battle Palom? And with you, I'm always ready to battle. Let's do this. Well, welcome, Mike. Thanks again for joining us uh, from the chilly vibes of Minnesota. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know, Chris and I were guests on uh, the podcast that you host, Connecting ALS, um, just hosted last week. Yeah. And uh, we had a great time, great conversation with you. And we wanted to return the favor and have you back on our show. So thanks again and, and welcome to Born to Battle. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm really excited to be a part of your show, as I told you when you were on Connecting ALS. Big fan of what you guys are doing, and uh, we were happy to have you uh, on our circuit and, and get to hear more about your story and your friendship and sort of what you're doing with the podcast. So I'm thrilled to be here, although I'm, I'm going to say I'm a little nervous. Normally... On our show, I'm I'm the one asking the questions. I feel like I'm in control of it, and now it's a little bit different being on this side, right? Being the guest, yeah. So I guess I got one question to start bef- before we get into our questions, Jesse. Sure. How many streams did you get for our episode on uh, for through this first week? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. Normally, we pull the numbers uh, Thursday to Thursday, so our episodes come out on a Thursday. Okay. And, and, uh, so we'll have them. Wednesday night. Well, I'll put it on social media for you. Um, but we got a lot of positive feedback from folks that heard the show that said they were really happy to hear from you guys and that they're going to check out uh, this podcast now, Born to Battle. So uh, nothing but good things coming back. And I'm sure the numbers will reflect that too. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Just wanted to see if we, uh, how we measured up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might be a record breaker. I don't know. Falone, <laughs> start us off. Let's um, give uh, Mike some Good questions to roll with them. Everyone gets to know him a little more along with us today. Absolutely. Uh-huh. All right, Mike. Uh, I did a little digging on you. The, oh, the, excellent. Great. Oh. The, the, perks, the, perks of, <laughs> the perks of social media, right? Oh, no. <laughs> Don't worry. It, it's nothing too crazy. But, sure. Um, so I, I looked up and saw that you went to Northern Iowa for college. Yeah. Um, so I guess the first question is going to be for everybody. How did you choose your first college or only college if, if you only went to one? Um, yeah. yeah. How'd you end up there and how'd you end up uh, choosing your major of public relations? Uh, good question. Yeah, I did. I went to school, University of Northern Iowa, Cedar Falls, Iowa, go Panthers. Um, I grew yeah. up in the Twin Cities of Minnesota where I'm at now. and Coming out of high school, most of my friends were were doing uh, University of Minnesota or um, what kind of one of the different private schools in the Twin Cities. And really, I love my high school experience and my friends, but I felt like I needed something a little bit different and to branch out a little bit. So started 
touring different schools in the tri-state area. And um, my parents actually are from Iowa and, and both attended the University of Northern Iowa. So I narrowed it down and that was one of them. And, and after touring the campus and really liking it, I thought I'd give it a shot. And they uh, coincidentally had a very strong uh, PR program, which is what I was going into. I thought when I was a little bit younger that I might be at the level of athleticism to play D1 hoops uh, and, and play for the Panthers, but quickly realized that would never happen. So <laughs> I, was, I was a basketball fan while I was there, but not a player. But yeah, Northern Iowa, was a, it was a good experience. I really enjoyed my time there and, and uh, would do it all again if I could. Awesome. Very cool. And did you end up having some friends that went there as well? Uh, no one came from high school, um, but just uh, formed some great relationships from, from folks that I met and, and still have those today. And, and some of my best friends I met in college and still stay in touch with them. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well I know Chris went to uh, quite a few colleges because he, wa- he really enjoyed the college life <laughs> and wanted to experience a little, little bit of here and there. So, Chris, where did you go and what did you end up studying? Uh, so, I went to a few as I bounced around, but ultimately, ultimately I ended up studying family studies and human development. I was really looking into the aspects of counseling, teaching, kind of going that realm, mm. and that kind of maneuvered ways around there and ended up going into the medical field. Funny how it works out, but I started off at a junior college playing baseball and then after that I moved to Portland State because it was right there in the Oregon area and I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going because it was kind of that identity change after playing sports what the heck do I want to study why am I even in school because sports really was a driving factor for for me ever to think about school past high school and then after that my parents had moved to Arizona my freshman year of college. So I thought, let's try something different. Try something different. Mix it up and end up going to University of Arizona and then graduating from that. So a little bit of a journey and then it dropped out for a bit too. So I was all over the place, but knew how important getting an education was to set myself up for uh, further success down the road because it almost seems like the college degree is the new high school diploma now. That is very true. So after high school for me, I ended up going to a community college in Arizona that's where my dad was living at the time. Uh, my brother and my sister had both moved down to the Arizona area as well, the Phoenix area. Um, so I kind of followed followed suit and went with the fam. Uh, I was there for a year, 
and got burnt out from going to school full time and working 30 plus hours a week. And I said, I'm going to go back and live with my mom. What's <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrong with that? <laughs> and, and so I went back to Portland, ended up at Portland State. So me and Chris actually had our first year uh, pretty much coordinated where we had at least one or two classes each term together. Pretty sure Chris lived with me for maybe like two weeks. <laughs> it was it was kind of weird. Good good for us. Uh, <laughs> weird in the sense that my family was like a little uncertain of what was going on because it was just like, oh, Chris is going to stay with us for a little while. And they're like, he is? <laughs> so that, that was kind of my fault. I didn't set it up very well. <laughs> uh, but we enjoyed it while, while it lasted. <laughs> And then I went on to study business and marketing. And honestly, I kind of just fell into it. It came natural for me. And, and I, for the most part, I enjoyed it. So uh, that's, that's what I did. And here we are now just talking. Does it feel, does it it feel like a long time ago for you guys? You guys are a little bit younger than me or, or maybe a lot younger than me. Does it feel like it happened many years ago? Or do you look back and think that that was yesterday? It seems like, a long time ago, actually. <laughs> sure. I would say the beginning of college, for sure, was a long time ago. It seems closer than it actually is, but hmm. yeah, maybe a little longer ago. Yeah. We're dating ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, I, I can leave this out, but how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm 38 now. I graduated from you and I in 2005. So okay. yeah, 15 years ago, uh, the, to me, that, that feels like that is a long time ago. Yeah. Hey, well, you look, you look young. So I, <laughs> I honestly would have guessed, I would have guessed early 30s. So lots of Zoom filters, I think. Are, <laughs> there. Yeah. They work go. magic. They almost make me look like I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> When did you get? Did you guys graduate? I'm gonna like 2012. Yep, that's what uh, I guess. Yeah. We should have been 2011 mm-hmm. if okay. we didn't in four years. But oh well, we took no. our time, enjoyed yeah. the experience as you should. Uh, sometimes a little too much because the college atmosphere and all the shenanigans. I take up a little too much more of your precious time and you can easily get lost, lose focus. Yeah, but that's part of it, you know, it's the experience, like you said. That is. Uh, Chris, did you have any questions that you wanted to throw at Mike? So it's more of a a general broad Mm. stroke kind of question, but do you remember or have a profound memory of when some instance may have occurred in your life and you really thought, wow, I have no idea, or that was such an amazing learning experience because mm-hmm. you might have thought you knew it when you did not? And Great question. You can take your time to no, think that's, about it. That's a really good question, a really good question. Uh, I think about 
my my first years we're, we're talking about college my first years after i graduated um were very much a learning experience for me i think like a lot of young people you get that degree and feel like you're ready you know and, and you can take on the world and do just about anything in front of you and I got a job with a nonprofit here in the Twin Cities that focused on um, domestic violence services and prevention. And it's very much where I wanted to be in the, in the field that I wanted to be in. And I was thrilled about that. And I thought that I knew uh, kind of what I was doing. Um, but in my first week on the job as their marketing manager at this organization, um, they had asked that I uh, capture some stories of some of the people that they served so that we could raise awareness and, and better kind of educate the public on the impact of domestic violence. And I thought, well, I can do that. You know, I've worked for newspapers and, you know, studied journalism and I'm ready for that. And that first few weeks, uh, hearing from people about their stories and hearing the kind of intimate and emotional details about the things they've been through really, really had a major impact on me. And, and from the standpoint of being um, in something of a bubble and growing up the way I did and living where I lived and, and doing the things I did, not really having a grasp on the world around me and the different experiences that people have and the perspectives they bring to the table, really eye-opening for me. And um, it kind of set the course for the rest of my career, I think, because it made me want to tell more of those stories and hear more of those different perspectives that people have. Actually, the question I was going to ask is kind of related to this. And I noticed that a lot of your work history is in the nonprofit realm. So what influenced you to want to work in the nonprofit sector? Sure. Yeah, no, good question. I think, um, as I was alluding to, storytelling is a big, big piece of it. And um, one thing that we can all relate to is having our own story and sharing our own perspective. And because of different circumstances and backgrounds, um, many of those stories are undertold um, and, and don't get the uh, attention or um, do uh, that they have coming to them. And for um, individuals uh, battling diseases like ALS or Alzheimer's uh, or heart disease or cancer, uh, being able to share their story um, and their experience is a very important thing in raising awareness and um, bringing light to a difficult situation. I knew that I wanted to help raise awareness in some way. I didn't always know that it would be in what I'm doing now, but um, I knew from a very young age that raising awareness was going to be important to me. And so I thought that the nonprofit sector would wear, would most easily do that. Very cool. And I know the nonprofit sector, every job we've been at, and I expected ALS with association is happy that you are part of their organization, man. Kind of you to say. Kind of you to say, Chris. I, I hope gotta, that's true. I hope oh that's yeah. true. <laughs> I got a fun question. Sure. Both of y'all. Tell me your ideal breakfast and bread meal. What are you having? The breakfast and bed is coming to you. What is on your plate? And what do you eat first? <laughs> Nathaniel, you better take that one, man. I got it. All right. Uh, breakfast in bed. Good question. I guess 
I would probably go with like my grandma's kind of classic uh, potatoes <laughs> mm. and then over easy egg uh, on top of the potatoes, some pepper, cut those up, get that egg yolk on the pet <laughs> onto the potatoes. And I think that's a, a safe bet to, to start the day. Mm. That sounds good. That sounds good. I, when I, it's available to me or when I have the access to traditional breakfast foods like eggs and bacon and that sort of thing, I love it. And that's probably what I would request. Sadly, more often than not, breakfast for me is like four Oreos or a donut <laughs> or just like whatever bread that I have laying around. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a morning person by any stretch. So it's usually just like, I need something to, something to eat to get me going. And it's, it's not usually a healthy choice. You go straight for the sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's what, exactly. Whatever's easy. And a lot of times it's a handful of cookies. Nice. I love it. <sighs> man. Those double stuffed Oreos. Deadly. Yeah. So, so Mike, while we're talking about Oreos, I don't know if you heard the episode where Chris was talking about how he used to eat Oreos. I didn't. No, I missed okay. that one. So he would actually just put them into a cup of milk, a glass of milk, and then eat them with a spoon. Oh, wow. Nice. I, have you ever heard this before? <laughs> I don't know if I've heard of that specifically, but everybody has kind of their own Oreo technique uh, that they either grew up with or found out later in life. I, Oreos are a staple in my okay. diet. I, I mull them up. I put them into milkshakes a lot of time. Oh. There you go. Um, but yeah, and they make so many different flavors now. You go to the grocery store, there's like 49 different flavors of Oreos. <laughs> there Always really something are. different to try. Yeah, for sure. So much. What's your breakfast in bed uh, go to, Chris? Uh, mine would be, of course, uh, pancakes mm. with the maple syrup, hash browns with ketchup, mm. and a sausage of some sort. I'm not really an egg for breakfast kind of guy. Okay. And I'm not really a big bacon fan either. Mm. So given those things, they really stick to my stomach and fill me up. But I used to only really eat oatmeal every morning. I did the same thing every day like clockwork. Yeah. Oatmeal, raisins, and like brown sugar and milk. I've never been a fan of oatmeal. Oh, Can't do it man. either. Texture yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like mush. It's like, uh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. But a healthy choice, not a bad way to start your day. Oh, because of my pops. He was a healthy guy. Mm -hmm. So, follow soon. All right. So I think we have one more question for our little question session. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the questions that I was planning to ask kind of already came about through our other conversations. So Chris, you got one more just wild out there question we can ask Mike, something <laughs> super revealing. Yeah, please, yeah. please. Any dirt that you found on social, I would love to discuss. Who is your Hollywood crush? <laughs> Hollywood crush. They're convinced you. It's okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a tough question. I think different stages of life bring different crushes. Um, I and this is this is going to date me too. But when I was 
I must have been in high school because um, my sister was in college and she was a huge fan of the show Felicity. I don't know if you guys know what yeah. that show is. I know that show. Before your time, but yeah. Uh, Carrie Russell, that's when Carrie Russell really broke out and became a star. And I was, yeah, infatuated with her at that age. I'd have that. I'd say Carrie Russell. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. So if you're listening, Carrie, <laughs> yeah, I know if you're still single out there, <laughs> Right, right, right. How about you guys? We've talked about this in the past. Oh, okay. uh, one for me was, oh, well, I can't remember her name because <laughs> it's the girl with the dark hair and <laughs> Bring It On. Uh, she had a weird name. But then other than her, it was Jessica Alba. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good choice. She got that honey. Mine. <laughs> yep. Mine might have changed, but I mean, she was the thing. Mine was. Aaliyah, that's my mm. biggest crush. Yeah, yeah. rock the boat. All right. I just, I just last night I was flipping through channels. I saw um, Romeo Must Die. Oh I mean, yeah, she was in with, with Jet Li. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, she was gonna be a star. Uh huh. Yeah, certainly was. R.I.P. Too young. Very, mm-hmm. very. All right, Mike. So for our ALS update today, we mm-hmm. are going to feature yourself and the ALS Association. So if you don't mind, could you just share what exactly is, does the ALS Association do? Um, and then how can people really get involved? And, uh, and basically anything else you want to share about the ALS Association? And then we'll follow up with how, Chris, how you are currently involved with uh, the ALS Association chapters near you. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, the easiest way to talk about the ALS Association is in our three mission pillars. So we try to address the disease from all fronts, um, the first of which is research. And uh, the ALS Association is the largest private funder of ALS research in the world. More than 160 uh, current projects happening on various continents, most of which are aimed at slowing the progression of the disease because there are so many different forms of ALS and it impacts everyone differently. The scientific community believes that it's going to take a number of different therapies, uh, similar to the way that some cancers and HIV are treated. It's going to be a cocktail, most likely, that will slow the progression of ALS for a significant number of people living with the disease. The Ice Bucket Challenge, which happened six years ago now, it's hard to believe, um, turned ALS research upside down. It it blew things up. And now uh, that we're six years removed from that, even the last 18 months, we're starting to see big steps forward as the fruits of those initial projects started five or six years ago are taking shape. Drugs like Neuron and Amalex 35, which maybe you've been reading about uh, in the news or hearing about on our podcast. Um, the goal there is to slow the progression and buy people like Chris time to maintain levels of critical muscular function and give them hope that they may see the day when we have the first of what will likely be several cures for ALS. The second pillar is advocacy, uh, which I know uh, Chris is involved in, uh, in raising awareness and moving legislation forward to 
improve access and quality of life for those living with ALS. There are numerous insurance uh, and financial barriers that come with an ALS diagnosis. So anything that can be done to cut through that red tape and provide people the resources they need to survive and keep from being kind of constantly under that weight and stress is critical. The best example I can think of currently is the SSDI bill making its way through Congress. Uh, That bill, which was introduced several years ago, would waive the five-month waiting period that someone has to endure before gaining access to social security disability benefits after an ALS diagnosis. That's something that's set up for uh, a general population. But if you're living with ALS, five months can seem like an eternity. Uh, You can lose a lot in five months. And if you don't have money coming in, if you've lost your job or you can't work anymore, being able to secure things like basic uh, home health supplies or medical equipment can be a serious challenge. So advocacy, very, very important. And that kind of leads to the third pillar of the ALS Association support, and that's care services. That's what's being done at chapters all across the country, um, in different locations. We provide things like durable medical equipment, scooters, power chairs, bathroom equipment, uh, speech generating devices, assistive technology, and then caregiver resources like support groups and respite care. All of this is offered free of charge because again, as you know too well, ALS is an extremely expensive disease. Uh, So any way the association can ease some of that uh, financial strain, that's what we're about. So that in a nutshell, three pillars of the association's work, uh, trying to empower people to live higher quality lives while we fund research searching for a cure. Well said. I don't think you could have said it any better, honestly. (laughs) Covered a lot. Covered a lot. I was was rambling a little bit. (laughs) It was definitely good quality uh, rambling that you were doing. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. I know that opened up a little bit more for me about all that the ALS Association does. And Chris, do you want to go ahead and share how you are involved with the ALS Association and, and what you use uh, from their resources? Well, first of all, Mikey did an amazing job explaining that because even myself, I feel it so I got even a better grasp on their association and I work with them um, already too. So I think that was just great. And like I said, uh, uh, making them more people aware and how the resources can be um, distributed to patients with ALS. I know they're all broken down into different chapters throughout state and I think for me how such a huge impact with the organization organization and the chapters I've worked with is they've really become a part of your family and are so intertwined with how overall I'm doing, how overall Taylor's doing, my family. They really we understand everything about what I'm going through and what I will go through down the road 
and to have access to that type of knowledge whenever I need something said. I didn't have a wheelchair. These people had no clue who I was. I just mentioned it to them, and they bent over backwards for me. And then, of course, I developed more of a relationship with everyone in the chapter, too. But there's so many things that you don't always think about that you might need or if something goes wrong with something you have, like a power wheelchair or a speech generating device or a Hoyer lift. The associations always there to help anywhere they can. And if they don't know the answer or have the item, you better believe they're going to find that item or answer for it. So it's been huge for me. And I can't say enough about how well the experience has been with a disease like this. Well, it's good to have that positive feedback from you, uh, Chris. I'm glad that the association where you are has been able to help. I know that you've worked with a couple different chapters um, since your diagnosis, and I'm glad that you're finding resources. One thing I always like to ask um, those that are living with ALS that do have contact with the association, what, what aren't we doing? Or what else would you like to see from the association? Or what could we be doing more of that would in your opinion, improve your situation and that of others living with the disease? I think it's a really hard one to kind of answer and, I guess, provide that resource in my experience because there's so much going on. They provide so much and maybe on top and always want the best and more for everyone. But I think the ability to have more help in some way with caregiving, mm-hmm. I know that comes down to sometimes a, a state level insurance or private insurance, but where my approach is occurring is definitely in the works, but we don't know when, which is always the tough part. We're knocking at the door. But what could always help the people with ALS and their family the most is the caregivers, because as you know, with everyone you met, that's probably the most expensive thing and the one that really burns people out and pushing them into the limit. So much so that people won't get a tracheostomy because they can't afford it or have any help for carrying down the road. So I don't know how it's ever possible, but that's why my head's out because helps everyone right here, right now. And and when there is a cure, you might have 
a lot of people that held on because they were able to get care. And then when they occurs they became a person, it really, really did a lot for some people. So I don't know how it could ever work, but that's what I say to a big huge challenge with so many moving parts. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Home health care, affordable home health care mm-hmm. uh, is such a challenge in the United States in particular. And um, that's something we hear a lot from those living with ALS and their families because caregiving is a difficult thing and it takes a village. Um, so having access to things like uh, paid respite care is key, um, but really just uh, more resources for home health care. And that's it's going to take... Um, as you alluded to, a big effort from uh, organizations like the ALS Association and their partners, but also the insurance companies and the federal government to um, make that possible. And it's unfortunately happening too slowly, but hearing voices like yours uh, are what's going to get us there and and taking those steps to um, get in front of legislators and say, this is what we need and we can't afford to wait. uh, That's a big first step. You're getting there. Keep, right. keep growing with the awareness. Uh, that Again, that's what we're trying to do with the whole podcast in general. Trying to share Chris's story is to continue to grow the awareness, point out those things that, you know, that aren't really there yet, that the support and the care that's needed uh, to help people with ALS. So we're going to keep pushing. I know you're going to keep pushing. And hopefully we can continue to do it together and, and see where we can take this. Yeah, and that's uh, again. I don't. I, I can't say enough how great it is what you guys are doing and what you're putting into the world with this podcast. Uh, every person that listens becomes more educated, and then they become potentially another advocate, and that's exactly what the world needs. So please uh, keep uh, producing this show and doing what you're doing, and, and I'm gonna keep listening and trying to get as many uh, people and connections I have to listen as well, so that they they know how important it is. Much appreciated. Absolutely. We're all in this together, whether you want to or not. (laughs) That's right. That is true. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And we hope to work together and continue to talk with you uh, as we work through this and see where we can go. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And thanks for not uh, grilling me too hard. I was expecting, <laughs> I was expecting worse. So I think this let me off easy. Okay. Uh, so maybe, maybe next time I come back, I'll get the really tough questions. Sure, sure. I do have one question, though, before we, we, t- we take off. Sure, can, sure. You ex- can, you ex- can you explain this picture here? <laughs> <laughs> that is man that is a good one that's from that's from my facebook i think yeah right? it is it is that's, uh, a number of years ago a different hairstyle ago that, that believe it or not i was a wedding dj on the side as one of my hustles for years and uh, i believe that's when that picture was taken but man yeah you did your research i'm glad that this is just an audio podcast and right that, uh, my, my colleagues aren't able to see that photo but uh no that's pretty that's pretty good that and thanks awesome. for choosing that one. There's some worse ones on there. So thanks for choosing that one. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to put you on blast too hard. So. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Oh man, that was great. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if you noticed, but we always try to end our show with a laugh because uh, we do 
typically end with the ALS update. Yeah. It's a little more serious, so we try to make it a little light to end the day uh, and the episode. So thanks again, Mike. This was fun. Thank you, guys. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike.